you know that we've been a part of this church for over three years now uh, for all the same reasons that Matt Bleeker said. This church has grabbed us and shaped us and the people and the leaders of this church have loved on us and shepherded us and counseled us in a million ways. Um, I am, my wife and I, Laura, are indebted, of course, to God for a million things and one of those things is the ch- this church and the people of this church. So my name's Matt McCann. Um, hopes to plant a seven-mile road church up in the Merrimack Valley. So I'm from Methuen. We felt a strong uh, desire and call of God to sell our house in Billerica and replicate what we're doing at Seven Mile Road down here in Methuen. So that was in the winter of this year and then coming up on the spring and summer, we said, we're going to sell our house and move to Methuen. So if you talk to me during that time, I was absolutely sure that's what we were doing. We're going to go and we're going to start communities and we're going to plant the gospel in Methuen and a beautiful church is going to happen and it's going to be Seven Mile Road Methuen. Positive. There was, there was no other direction. Uh, we listed our house. It hit the market. And um, if you, you probably a lot of you haven't been to our house. Some of you have. You know we have, it, by God's grace, we had a beautiful house that we thought it was going to sell instantly. Put it on the market. It wasn't selling for the first few weeks. And through prayer and conversations with um, some folks and through counsel, it became clear to us that God was saying no to Methuen right now, and he was going to be sending us to Melrose. So a little bit of a 180, we decided, yeah, um, God is leading us to go and live in Melrose. So that's been our direction. For the past month and a half, we've been crazy trying to sell our house, trying to figure out where we're living. If you've ever tried to get apartments down here for somewhat okay money, you know it's difficult. Um, So we were coming up on the sale of our house, which was on Tuesday. We signed the papers. That thing is done. Leading up to that weekend, though, we're still like, we need an apartment. God, give us an apartment. Uh, We didn't get an apartment in time. We took three years of possessions, and we put them in storage and stoned them. Um, and we moved in with Laura's mother. So I tell people at work, oh, I'm living with my mother-in-law, and it's like someone died. They're like, Man, I'm so sorry to hear that. It's a great situation. It really is. Um, I love her to death. Um, so we're there. We're 45 minutes away, 50 minutes away right now, coming down. Uh, but at the end of last week, we did find out that we got an apartment, and it is literally five minutes up the road. So... I tell you all this just to to catch you up, one, but two, just to say God's faithfulness and graciousness to us through this time, although it's been stressful and sometimes confusing and just really, you know, the the, the the unsuredness, if that's a word, of processes of selling house and moving and getting apartments and where's God doing has been difficult on us, a challenge on us, but um, God has been so faithful. So, we bought a house, a foreclosure in Billerica three years ago, and by God's grace and what he's done for us over this time, we signed our, we sold our house on Tuesday and we got a fat check. Um, we have a lot of family in this area, so we've been loved and encouraged through this time and all our stuff was moved and now we have a place to stay. Um, and then just the location of, of getting in an apartment in Melrose, right up the street, was what we were looking for, and God did that for us. Um, God is doing amazing things. And 
just so that you know, the reason why we're coming down here and we're not going somewhere else like Methuen, it makes no sense to anybody I've talked to, oh, moving closer to the city, away from work, because we have church community and relationships down there that we love and want to invest in. And that's just foreign language. Um, The reason we're coming down here is because of the community culture that is here, the gospel community culture that is here. We are all in on the mission of this church to the people of Melrose. We want to get as close to that as possible um, during this time that God is not moving us to Methuen, but moving us here to be with you, invested in relationships with you um, for our health and for the glory of God in Melrose. So just to say, I am so excited to be coming down here like that. I know it's a switch of direction, and you guys have loved on us through, that, through this whole process and really encouraged us, so, so thank you. Okay, with that said, let's, let's get into the scripture. We, we, as you know, inherit a million things from our parents without any say in the decision-making process. So some of you have kids that are identical replicas of you. They're little copies of you, right? They have your nose, your eyes, or your hair. They've got your tood or your, your bossiness or your strong-willedness. It's cool when you see that in your kids. You and me, likewise, we both came from one man and one woman who came from one man and one woman, and you can do that all the way back to the one man and one woman who we all came from. We are humans. We descended from humans. We are copies of originals. So we have a nose and eyes and fingers because Adam and Eve had a nose and eyes and fingers. Because we flow from them, we are downstream of Adam. We are copies of Adam. We are his types. So all of us, our eye color, our our noses, our, our hair, our body type, sprung from the will of God through the line of Adam. That's what's happening with us. So you might like that. You might like your hair type. Great. You might hate your nose or whatever it is. That's fine too. Um, It's interesting to see how we flow downstream from our parents. So it's cool and it's great when you see it, see how God's world works in your kids. It might be funny when you see how God's world works in your family's big ears. But there's also a terrible kicker to this. It's awful when we see how God's world works when we sin like our parents. So the Bible tells us that we inherit from our parents, among a million things, one major negatively um, important thing, and that thing is sin. So just as surely as you got your nose from Adam and Eve, you got the corruptness and the guilt from sin that was Adam's. Because Adam was our first, and we all flow downstream of Adam, we are like him. Um, God looks at us, and he considers us Adam's. So we've been going through the fall of Genesis 3. Um, It would be a great thing if we were copies of Adam and Genesis 3 wasn't in Genesis, but it is. So we call Genesis 3 the fall of mankind. And we do that because in Adam's fall, we sinned all. So this morning what we're going to deal with is this biblical doctrine called inherited sin, or you might have heard it called original sin. Um, And so some words to the wise first. There's mystery in this doctrine. Um, 
It's like any biblical mystery of God. You can see it on the surface and understand it, but the more you go into it and the closer you want to analyze it and the more you want to get it in your brain and understand it, the hotter it becomes and then you get up to this threshold and you hit the ceiling and you go, I just can't go any further. I'm not getting this. Um, There are things and truths of God's word that we can understand with hearts of faith, but that with these minds on this earth, we just can't totally comprehend. So go into this knowing that uh, my goal today is just to be clear. I can't remove the mystery. So I hope to just be um, handle God's word carefully and honestly, and then I'll trust that the Spirit of God will work this truth into your soul, um, and it will be helpful to you. So would you pray with me, and then we'll read God's word. Father, we love you. We need you. We're grateful that you gave your word to us. I pray that you would get it down deep into us by your spirit and we would uh, come to see the beauties of Christ this morning. Amen. So in Genesis, and the Lord God took the man and he said, you may surely eat of any tree in the garden, but the tree of knowledge and good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was also to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit of the tree and she ate. And she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And God said to Adam, Because you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat, by the sweat of your brow you will eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. So God said that there was one tree that was not to be eaten, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eve ate, Adam ate, Adam and Eve died. We've preached through these verses a a few times over the past uh, week, so just a quick summary. Adam was given a test and a promise with the tree of knowledge and good and evil. The tree was a test like this. Will man live and stay man? and trust and love that God is God. The fail-pass of the test was, was um, accounted by Adam's actions in regards to this tree. So God was in essence saying, man, do you believe that I am God and what I say to you is loving and right and true? Or do you need to be God and rule over me? Can you submit to me being God Or must you rule over me? That was the test. The promise was, like we read, if you eat this tree, if you break the only law, right? Not eating the tree was the only wrong that could be done, the only one. If you eat this and you do the only thing willingly and purposefully that I'm saying is wrong, the promise of penalty is you'll die. So we read that Adam and Eve did not love and trust God like they they should. They failed the test. They did the only wrong that could be done. And like they were promised, they both died. If you get this part of the garden, you will understand so much of the world, of its hate and corruptness and its godlessness. But more importantly, you will understand your own failings, your own hate, your own corruptness. And you will understand why someday you will die. So much of what we see on a day-to-day basis is explained in this Genesis 3 text. So here it is. Ready? 
This is the answer to all the riddles. The reason why you and me, myself included, are broken and sinful is because Adam, our father, our representative, broke us. You and me have inside of us this core of a sin principle. Our nature is sinful. So it's not just that we as human beings do sinful things and then that makes us sinful. It's that our desires are sinful. Inside at the core we are corrupt and out of that we do sinful things. This morning I'm telling you that there's something wrong with you. Something wrong with me. And that was passed on to us through our father Adam. You and I inherited this disaster of a mess. And that comes from Adam. So a couple years ago, I bought a dehumidifier. Um, If you know anything about the way recalls work, a company makes a product, they put it out, and then they need to recall the product by taking it back and giving you your money. So apparently the model dehumidifier that I got was starting fires and burning houses down and people were losing their homes over a dehumidifier. So company puts out a recall. Now, the company had to do that because my particular model dehumidifier was made from a mold that was broken. So before I ever got this thing out of the box, before I ever plugged this thing into the wall, before I ever turned it on, there was something wrong with this dehumidifier. It was dangerous. And the reason is, it was a copy. It was a replica. It came from something else that it followed down in the production line. That's how it came. This is how the Bible explains sin. So we didn't have to do sinful actions to become sinful. We are born with this defect, and the defect is real. So if you have your Bibles with you and you want to go to Romans 5.12, that's where we're going to be. This is what Paul is saying concerning Adam and his descendants. He says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, in in death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, side note, I love, and I hope you think this is amazing, that Paul learned from Genesis 3. So the same Genesis 3 that you and me have is the exact same Genesis 3 that Paul has. And so Paul and we have read that sin was not a part of God's original created intent. It was introduced into the world after God created everything good, and its introduction was by means of Adam. So basically, sin, Adam took sin by the hand, and he walked it in, and he said, sin, meet the world and all my descendants. Sin Adam introduced sin into the world, into our souls. Now, Paul's theology here is it's pretty simple, but it's deep. What happened, in the gar- when, what happened in the garden is God created the man with the ability to introduce sin into the human race by giving Adam the responsibility for the human race. So, That's a lot of responsibility. And you might argue that it's too much responsibility. I just hope that you won't argue uh, that after today. So we can understand in small ways how this worked with Adam. If you have children or you're a manager or you lead a country, 
The decisions that you make as a leader flow downstream to those who are under you. They have a direct effect on uh, the well-being or the hurt uh, on those who are under your care. The greater area of influence that you have as a leader, the greater effect that you can have on people's lives. So when you're a leader responsible for the people you lead, we call this federal headship. Basically, someone is responsible for the collective whole. One person is responsible for the collective whole. When I was a wee lad, a young boy, my parents decided to get us a uh, pool. So it was a, it was a pool, like, not like that it just jumped in your head when I said that. It was tin foil supported by chopsticks. It was the cheapest pool that you could buy at the time. It wasn't those thick, rubber, nice, temporary-looking pools. This thing was was cheap. It had very limited uses. Um, my, my sisters and I were young. This, uh, this pool was sufficient. It was cherished. There's no doubt. We absolutely loved it. So and just like my parents' decision to, make the, to get the pool was not mine, but it affected me, my father's hatred of cleaning the pool was a malice that would forever ruin the summer of 1994. My dad did not like the pool with its water treatment and its skimming and its winterization. Some people just aren't pool people. Cruise. <laughs> I could have guessed. My father, while cleaning the pool, fell over the pool into the side. He broke it beyond repair. All the water came out on the lawn. Now, to this day, it's this big joke in my family because my father swears that this was an accident. But we all know that in reality, my father did this on purpose, right? He wanted, he wanted to escape his responsibilities of maintaining this pool. Either way, my father represented us as our head. He had the responsibility of maintaining the pool, and when he didn't and destroyed it, that flowed downstream directly to my sisters and I. It's a simple analogy, but this is Adam as our federal head, as our leader. When God made the human race, he made all of us in Adam. The entire race was represented in Adam because we were, as it were, in Adam. It's like Adam was the head, and everybody who flows down to him is connected by this invisible rope. We are all this collective organic whole as human beings, as Adam kind. And when Adam decided to jump off the cliff, we all who were attached to him by this rope have been plummeting off the cliff ever since. So this is what Paul is saying. Through one man, through Adam, through one man, sin and death spread to everyone. Further down he says, one trespass brought condemnation for all men. So like it or not, Adam had the responsibility to not sin for us. Adam was like a bomb expert diffusing a bomb. He had the ability to wipe out the entire planet. It was a ton of responsibility. It would have been great if Adam did not sin. But what Paul is saying is, Adam snipped the wrong cord and everything exploded. So Adam's sin made us sinners, right? But it also says that death came through Adam. Or death came through sin, and so death spread to everyone. I want to dig that out a little bit. It's not only that we are sinful now because of Adam, but we die. 
So we all know that to live is to die. Um, Benjamin Button, who lived backwards, he died. Everyone dies. When you're born, you start to die. So Genesis 3 and Romans 5 are telling us that death invaded our biological makeup by the vehicle of sin. Sin is what kills us. But this is a, this, here's a good question to ask. This is a great question, and it's answered in Paul's text. Do we die because we have committed a particular sin? So is it, is it that we lied, or that we were proud, or that we hated, or that we stole? Is that what kills us? That at one time in, in our lifespan we sinned? Or is it that we're sinners at the core? The text is, the answer is, is both and. But what this text is saying is, is that first, we are sinners by birth. We're sinners by nature, and that's what kills us. It's true that we've committed sins that have increased our guilt before God. Paul says that earlier in Romans. But this text is saying that God counts us guilty first because we are in Adam. We are under Adam. Now, you can know that this is true if you look at the words in the the text that Paul writes. He says, death spread to all men because all sinned. So sinned there is the proper translation. It's not in death spread to all men because all were going to sin or death spread to all men because all would sin. It was all sinned. Now you might say, but that's not true. I wasn't literally in the garden. I did not sin. How could I have sinned where I did not exist? If you're saying that, I know what you're saying, but the scripture is saying that, yes, you did sin in the past. And you say, when did I sin in the past? That doesn't make sense. And scripture says, Adam sinned for you. And in Adam, God reckoned you a sinner. So I told you there was going to be mystery to this. Um, This is one of the things that Paul is saying that Genesis 3 is teaching us. Paul says, you know that there is something wrong about you. You know that you do broken things, right? You're, you're a broken dehumidifier that needs a recall. Adam represented all of us, all of our interests in the garden as our leader. He was appointed as our head, and when he sinned in the garden, we sinned in the garden. That's because God treats us as this organic whole, this collective whole. We are Adam kind. We are humans. When Adam jumps off the cliff, all of us who are tied to him by a rope go off the cliff with him. So now that is terrible, terrible news. It's terrible news. So if I had to guess what one of your objections are, one of your reactions to this this text, my guess is that your objection or your reaction is the same one that I've wrestled through these past weeks with this. It's simply not fair. How can God count me a sinner because of one man's sin? Why am I held guilty and condemned by the actions of someone else? So that's a real objection, a real objection. If you're not thinking that today, uh, if you were talking on the street or at work or in the hospital, that is a real objection from someone who might want to honestly flesh out with you what this means, but that they're struggling with hearing what you're saying. So the first thing I can say is um, 
This is a, this is a doctrine that can only be received and believed um, with a heart of faith. So that's true of any biblical uh, mystery. These things are only going to be grasped in humility with faith. But to try to help you, uh, to try to be helpful to you, useful to you this morning, I want to give you what helps me. So I know deep down inside, I would have ate that fruit way quicker. Like, way quicker. Adam was the best of us. He was. If anyone on the planet was ever not going to sin, it was Adam and Eve. They were beautiful. They were strong. They were sharp. They were capable. They would have schooled you and me in wit, in learning, in capacity, in power, in natural ability. They were A players. They were aces. They were above us. They were king and queen. They were great. They are actual proof from God to you and me that we would have done the exact same thing. Now, um, you know that hindsight is twenty twenty, right? We can look at the ramifications of Adam's sin and say, no way would I have done that. In the second after Adam ate that fruit, he would have said, I can't believe I did that. If he, want, if he could have had a take back instantly, he would have taken that thing back. But if Adam was here right now standing next to you and he heard you say, put me in the garden, I won't eat the fruit, he would laugh at you and he'd say, oh, you silly copy of me. Yes, you would have. You know you would have. And then he would have proved to you all the ways that you've proven it as a rule in your own life. Adam in the garden was just like you and me being in the garden. And what I'm saying is that Paul is saying that Genesis is saying that we were. We so badly want to be our own hero that does not eat the tree, that does not eat from the fruit of the tree, but that's not how this story that we are in is unfolding. So if you can, uh, accept this doctrine right, of inherited corruption and then move on from it with me into the beauties of what this uh, is showing us about how God's world actually works. Ready? <laughs> Adam is not the only representative um, available to the human race. God has appointed a better Adam. God in his infinite wisdom and grace and goodness has not made mankind the hero of the story that does not eat the tree. He's appointed his eternal son as the hero to save anyone who did eat from the tree. Paul says it like this in Romans 5.18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. Terrible news. We just did that. So one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. Sorry, Paul, come again. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Revel right now. Revel in this with me. Wade in the waters of this mystery right now. Jesus Christ represents those who with faith in him have his righteousness and life in them. 
Paul structured Romans 5 to work like this. He takes Adam, and he explains that we are all from Adam as his children, and Adam represented every one of us as our head. And Paul does this because he is, by the Spirit of God, explaining how it is that one man's actions can make so many righteous. He's trying to explain how is it that one man's obedience in righteousness in death and resurrection, can stand for so many. This is his nail in the coffin. This is his slam dunk argument right here. I've done so much disobedience. I haven't been obedient. How is it, how can it be that Jesus' perfect obedience to God the Father is my perfect obedience? I've done so much wrong. You should see my list as a son of Adam. How is it that the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ can stand as my perfect righteousness for Jesus Christ? Paul's saying that all this Jesus stuff can be. It can be, and it is, because this is the way that God in his wisdom has made the world work. In the same way that Adam's sin condemned us and we're going to die for it, even though we did not literally sin in the garden, the cross of Christ can stand for you even though you did not literally die on the cross. You see the beauty of this thing now? It's tempting to say that God gave Adam way too much responsibility, but look at how beautiful that responsibility is when this responsibility is delegated to the perfect Jesus. It's amazing. It's amazing. We can, the option is for us, we can get upset about how one man's uh, sin can be accounted to us and reckoned to all of mankind, and we can completely miss the point. Or we can throw ourselves on the mercy and the grace of God and weep over that he sent his son. So Adam and in, in, in Adam, everyone is plummeting with him off the cliff away from God. But that is not the only news to be heard on earth. There is gospel. And that gospel news is that Jesus Christ is rocket shipping to God everyone who is grabbing onto him with faith. So it's true that God has made the world Uh, work this way because he is good and he's wise and he is just. And he's appointed two men to rule over the fates of every man. One has the ability to kill all of his descendants, and he did. And one has the ability to save and give eternal life to all of his children, and he is. So I'd like to give some parting words now uh, with this. God has given these two options of Adam and Christ. Um, If by faith you have switched from Adam to Christ, um, will you walk into this week, walk out of this place, just confident and reassured that God gave you Jesus? Would you bask, literally like bathe in that news that God has appointed Jesus to you that he is for you and he is literally your life. The day is coming 
and think on this this week. The day is coming where you will stand before God and he won't see Adam. He'll see you coated and covered in Christ. So praise God this week for that truth of Jesus with gladness and joy. Um, But in order to be faithful, I must tell you, uh, if you've not come to see uh, Jesus in his glory on the cross for you, then you are still in Adam. And under Adam, in Adam, you will have his sin and his death. So know that the, B, the Bible teaches inherited sin, and this is true, so that we would throw ourselves onto the cross of Christ. That's why it's here. Christ can be yours today and literally forever. You need only to turn from your sin and believe in what he has done to bring you to God. Get rid of Adam. Take hold of Jesus and love him. Pray with me. Father, you're good to us, and because you're good and you love us, and you're wise and you're just and you're amazing, you appointed Christ as our head, and all his benefits are ours. Because he became one of us and took on for us the penalty of our sin, and he killed it, and then he came back in victorious life, We have all those things now in Christ. Would you be honored this morning by our faith in you? Would you be glorified as we run this race looking to Jesus, our head? Amen.